In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Greetings, friends and fans of freaky, frightening, and fantastic funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast that dissects and inspects horror comics. Bob here, your friendly neighborhood cast keeper. If you're a constant listener, it's good to see you again. If you're a new initiate, step inside, have a seat, all are welcome here. For this is episode 24, and we will take a look at The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves, number 66, published by Charlton in 1981. Back in episode 18, we looked at Ghostly Haunts number 52, published by Charlton. And in that episode, we did a publisher history. So if you'd like to revisit that or listen to it for the first time, you can visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com, grab a shovel over there in the corner, and you can exhume episode 18. So let me gather together my trusty, rusty, yet sharp surgical instruments. We'll examine the many ghosts of Dr. Graves, and we'll pull out issue 66 when I get back. So stick around. Charlton has its place and and deserves to be remembered. The Charlton guys were the new guys on the block, trying really hard. I just happened to be there at the right place at the right time. There was a creative, powerful force that lived at Charlton Comics, and it was producing top-quality work. I loved working for Charlton. I could have used more money. It was the people from Charlton that added juice to DC Comics. They gave it to the comic book industry a lot of good characters. There wouldn't be a Watchmen if it wasn't for the Charlton characters. I think Charlton should be uh, proud of the stuff they put out. It showed in the work. I mean, some people were busting their butts, and that was amazing, amazing stuff. I'm perfectly willing to say sometimes you really do win the lottery, and I did. Some comic book legends, including Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams discussing Charlton Comics, It's no secret that we are huge fans of Charlton here at the vault, and I'm always pleased when we get to take a look at one of their titles. Now, The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves was a supernatural horror anthology comic published by Charlton for 75 issues from May 1967 until January 1986, quite a long time and right up to the very end of Charlton's life. However, that still seems like a long time for 75 issues. Well, we did have a few hiatuses. After issue 60 in January of 1977, it went on hiatus for seven months until 61 came out in August of that year, but then was canceled with issue number 65 in May 1978. Charlton would revive the title three years later with 66, which happens to be the issue we'll be looking at. And that was in May of 1981, before canceling it once more six issues later. 
they would publish three additional issues that contained solely reprints and was simply titled Dr. Graves, and they were published as issues numbered 73 to 75 from September 1985 to January 1986. And like I mentioned, that is right at the end of Charlton's life. Many legendary writers and artists worked on this title, including Steve Ditko, Jim Aparo, Pat Boyette, Don Newton, and Tom Sutton, among others. And this title was hosted by the cleverly and corny named Dr. M.T. Graves. He was a dapper, debonair-looking gent in a three-piece suit with combed back dark hair and a goatee and gray temples usually brandishing either a pipe or a cigar. And he, of course, would host these tales and sometimes actually make an appearance in the story. Now, The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves number 66 has a cover date of June 1981 and a cover price of 50 cents. And the cover, which is by legendary Batman artist Jim Aparo, depicts a motorcycle accident scene where we see a man in the foreground, his bike is crashed, he's yelling, no, no, this can't be happening. We see a girl on a motorcycle riding away headlong into what looks to be a early Ford minivan, I believe they were called step vans, and Dr. Graves standing in the foreground with his arms crossed and a pipe in his mouth. We get a stylized logo, the many ghosts of Dr. Graves, complete with a skull and a headstone. At the top of the page, we get a cameo of Dr. Graves next to the Charlton Bullseye logo, and it's a nicely composed and well-drawn cover. Now inside the book, The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves, number 66, has 36 pages with three comic stories and no text story. Our first comic story, The Mist, involves a man who is pulled into the mist by his memories of a motorcycle accident five years in the past, which makes this sound like it's the cover story. That's followed by The Ghost of Marlin Manor, where Dr. Graves solves the case of Marlin Manor and determines that a ghost is not to blame. And closing out the book is The Best of All Possible Worlds, where a young couple are transported into a strange place from which the man does not want to leave. So we'll take a look at the featured story for The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves, number 66. When I get back, I'll see you on the other side. Who will dare to face the challenge of the monster? Who is mad enough to enter that world of darkness? Something is alive in the funhouse. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. The 
Fun House, coming soon from Universal Pictures. The Fun House, it's a carnival of terror from Toby Hooper, the director who terrified you with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, I should probably start a segment called I Saw It at the Ritz because it seems whenever the opportunity presents itself, based on the publication date of our comic, I seem to feature one of these films that played at the old cinema in my hometown where sadly there is now an empty lot. This 1981, sometimes forgotten, Toby Hooper film is no exception, nestled between the incredible TV film Salem's Lot and Poltergeist, although there is some debate and controversy as to just how much of Poltergeist was directed by Toby Hooper. All the same, another personal favorite of mine. Okay, before we dig into our featured story, just a little bit about the state of Charlton Comics in 1981. By this time, Charlton had allowed their licensed titles to lapse, the aging printing presses were deteriorating towards uselessness, and they didn't have the resources to replace them. So they were mostly doing reprints at this point, although they would last until 1986. By 81, we were just seeing reprints. There were a few attempts at some new material, but it never really panned out. And so this issue of The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves, number 66, all three stories are reprints from earlier issues of The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves, and our featured story is no exception. It was first seen in issue number five in January of 1968, and it's titled The Best of All Possible Worlds. Now, our creator credits for the story, and boy, we have got some legends here. We got a script by Steve Skeets. Now, he's best known as a writer on DC titles Aquaman and Hawk and Dove, but he also worked for, along with Charlton, Marvel and Atlas and many other comic publishers during his career. We have pencils, inks, and letters by Jim Aparo, who also did the cover for this issue. Legendary comic artist, best known for his work at DC on Aquaman, and also the Spectre, but his most notable work would be his work on Batman in the 60s and 70s, particularly in Detective Comics and The Brave and the Bold. And we also get a editor credit for this story, and that would be Dick Giordano. Once again, another legend who was at one time a managing editor at Charlton. He was also an artist, but he was responsible for launching the Charlton Action Hero line, which eventually would be sold off to DC, slightly modified and used by Alan Moore in the legendary Watchmen series. So this is just some more proof of the importance of Charlton Comics in comic history. It truly was a proving ground for comic book legends. So on the first page of The Best of All Possible Worlds, we get a talking head M.T. Graves at the top of the page with a pipe clenched between his teeth, and he says to us, So here you are reading a comic book. You're engrossed, right? And maybe you're the type of reader who likes to let his imagination run wild. Maybe you like to identify with the characters. Pretend that the story is happening to you. If this is the case, please allow me to make a small suggestion. Cool it for a while. Because if you don't, you may end up like a fellow named Charlie does in this story entitled The Best of All Possible Worlds. And this first panel is a half-page splash. We see a young couple sitting on a park bench. We have Dr. M.T. Graves in the foreground who continues his introduction saying, Meet Charles Drupal, an avid comic book fan, and his girl, Dorothy Carson. 
Dorothy and Chuck have known each other for years. They met back in high school, and since then they have spent many an hour getting to know each other better. Somewhere along the line they even fell in love, or so they thought. But now Charlie is starting to wonder, and we see that they're having a conversation on this park bench. Dorothy says, I still don't see what you're getting at. Isn't there some way you can explain this so I'll understand? Charlie says, it's kind of hard to put into words, Dorothy, but... And I'm going to stop here before we go on with the uh, dialogue, because this uh, half-page splash is quite cleverly composed. As I mentioned, we have Dr. Graves in the foreground giving us a further introduction, but we also have a sign uh, near a hedge, which would probably, in a normal park, say... You know, don't feed the animals or something like that. But here we get a case number, case 634. Now, many of these stories in The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves were numbered case files. And this is, of course, one of those examples. And below that, on the same sign, it says, Subject, Charlie Drupal, Location, Central Park. So it isn't just any park that they're in. We're in Central Park. And in the background, we have a monument, which looks... What what great timing this is. It looks as though it could be a Civil War monument. It shows a cannon and a a bunch of stacked cannonballs in front of it. But engraved on the monument, we get our credits for the story, written by Steve Skeets, edited by Dick Giordano, drawn by Jim Aparo. Okay, so we'll continue with the story. So they're having this conversation, and Charlie goes on, Well, look at it this way. Say we love each other, and we think we love each other, but how do we really know we do? I mean, how can we be sure? But we are sure, aren't we? That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I'm sure. I mean, I think I'm sure, but, well, everything's so complicated. Sometimes I don't understand you, and sometimes you don't seem to understand me. And that's why I'm trying to figure out if we're really in love or not. But Charlie, that's silly. Love isn't something you can think out. It's something you feel. Okay, so we know the situation between these two. Charlie's having second thoughts. Dorothy is wondering why he's having these second thoughts. And we'll just kind of go on from here. So she tells him that, you know, sometimes I think you read comics too much. And we get a little asterisk here and an editor's note from Dick Giordano that says, this, of course, is utter nonsense. And it sounds like you want everything to be as easy to figure out as a comic story. Well, real life just isn't like that. And how do we figure it out? How can we tell if we're really in love? So they just seem to go back and forth here. And Dr. Graves interrupts again saying, Well, so much for the introductory dialogue. Now comes the fun part. For example, look at that strange light beaming down on our young lovers. And we see the two of them in an embrace and a bright beaming light, as Dr. Graves said, coming down on the two of them. And he goes on to say, To tell the truth, I haven't the slightest idea where the light is coming from, nor why it chose these two to shine upon. That doesn't matter much anyway. The main thing is the effect it's going to have on this couple and on their surroundings. But in the true tradition of great lovers, Charlie and Dorothy now have their eyes closed, and thus they are completely oblivious to what's happening around them. But wait, the light is starting to go away now, and our players are beginning to come out of the clutch. And now we see they recognize that something has changed since this bright light is shown, which they didn't notice because they were embracing. And Charlie says, well, Dorothy, I guess we'd better... Hey, what's going on? She replies, "What? where are we? And Dr. Graves tells us the young couple starts looking around. At first, the surroundings look strange to them. But then Dorothy remarks that this is the part we were in before, but everything's changed. Nothing looks real. It's like it was all a drawing. 
And Charlie responds, drawing, that's it, it's like we are in a cartoon or something. Dorothy seems to think it's a dream. Charlie disagrees with her. No, it's not just a dream. It's more than that. I've got to figure this out. She goes on. No, come on, Charlie. It must be a dream. It can't be anything else. Stuff like this just doesn't exist in the real world. Charlie's deep in thought, and at that moment, as Dorothy thinks to herself, well, we'll wake up soon, we see a policeman approach her and ask, is this man bothering you, miss? Oh, well, no, not at all, but... He's not a normal policeman. He is actually, well, a funny animal. He's a little mouse dressed as a policeman. And Dr. Graves goes on. The strange policeman begins to walk away, but then he turns and, Are you sure he's not bothering you? Uh, yes, of course I'm sure. Okay, have it your way, lady. I must admit, though, this story would have been much more dramatic if you'd play along. So we're getting a little bit of breaking of the fourth wall here, or... I guess you could say a meta-story, because it appears that Charlie and Dorothy have now magically entered into a comic book. And Dorothy thinks to herself, I wonder what that cop meant by that. This sure is a weird dream. Charlie, did you hear what the policeman said? He's like, what policeman? You mean you didn't even notice him? He looked like some character right out of an animated cartoon. He stopped to ask if you were bothering me, of all things. And then he walked off in this direction. And she's tries to, and this is a clever panel. She tries to walk off in the same direction as the policeman and runs into the panel border. And now they notice that they're actually both trapped inside this panel. She says, hey, there's a line here. I can't seem to go past it. And we see Charlie pressing on the other side of the panel saying, yeah, I noticed that. Say there's one on this side too, and on the bottom and on the top. And then Dorothy remarks, and what about out... Oh, Charlie, look out there, those huge, ugly eyes staring at us. And Charlie says, oh, now, don't get carried away. It's probably just an optical illusion of some sort. They're too big to be real. Are you sure? Of course. Dr. Graves continues, the young couple caught in an impossible situation. What will they do? Where will they turn? Will they turn against each other? Will they try to escape? Or will they find this to be the best of all possible worlds? And now... As we continue our breaking of the fourth wall, Dorothy notices the narration written above her and says, Hey, now there's printing up there. And Charlie says, Yeah, and it's about us. Someone's writing about us. It's gone now. Because we've moved on to the next panel. Never mind that, Charlie says. I think I've got this whole thing figured out. This is a comic book. We've been teleported into a comic book story. A comic book? Are you out of your gourd? How can this possibly be a comic story? There's no plot to all of this, no storyline. A three-year-old child could write a better story than this. No, it's gotta be a dream. And we get some more narration. Already, the dichotomy becomes evident. The boy can accept the situation for what it is, the girl cannot. And Charlie says, see, I'm right. That caption says I'm right. She replies, what does that prove? Do you believe everything you see in print? This is a dream, I tell you. Then suddenly, which is our next narration in the, in the following panel, Charlie sees it and says, hey, look, something's going to happen. I wonder what is. Oh, come on, Charlie, let's get out of here. Maybe if we close our eyes for a while, when we open them, we'll be back where we started. Don't be ridiculous. That won't work. Besides, I want to stay for a while and see what that then suddenly was all about. Charlie, I think the walls are starting to close in because the panels are starting to get smaller. And Charlie remarks, nah, this is just a smaller panel, that's all. And the panel gets smaller in the next frame, and she says they are closing in, closing in fast. We're going to be squashed. Dorothy, will you calm down? There's nothing to worry about. 
The following panel gets even smaller and we see Dorothy trying to press against both sides to keep it from crushing her. She says, Charlie, help me. Dorothy, please try to act like a civilized person. And in the following panel, it gets big again. And he says, there, what I tell you, everything's back to normal. We had nothing to worry about. What's wrong with you? We could have been squashed to death and you didn't even try to save us. This is a nightmare. That's what it is. And you're part of it. I'm getting out of here right now. And Charlie says, well, what are you going to do? She replies, the only sensible thing there is to do. I'm going to close my eyes and wish that all this would go away. Are you going to join me? I told you that won't work, Charlie says. Besides, I don't think I want to leave. If this is a comic book world, then it's the type of existence for which I have been searching. A world where things are easy to figure out, easy to comprehend. Now she's really confused by him and she says, you're crazy. You can't live in a dream world. It, it isn't healthy. And our narration continues, the boy has discovered the beauty of, of this impossible situation, but the girl still refuses to accept it. Charlie once again points to the narration and says, see, I know what I'm talking about. She replies, beauty? This falsification beauty? So maybe you're right. Maybe this is a comic book, but it's still nothing like real life. It's still nothing but a lot of dumb illusion. And now our narrator starts to address Dorothy directly, saying, Watch what you say, girl. What are you talking about real life? This is better than real life. What are you, some kind of realist? And she replies to Steve Skeets, our writer, saying, There's nothing better than real life, mister. This is just a paper world. And if you don't watch how you speak to me, you poor excuse for a writer, I'll put a match to this world and show it up for what it really is. And she starts to light a match. Charlie tries to stop her. Dorothy, no. And in our next panel, it starts to rain. And Skeets tells us suddenly there is a <laughs> brief summer shower, which of course puts her match out. He goes on to say, this is Steve Skeets. I'm getting a little sick of you and your attitude, lady. So you can leave my story whenever you want to. Just do like you said. Close your eyes and wish you were out of here. And Dorothy says, that's just what I'm going to do. Stay in this madhouse if you want, Charlie, but I'm going. Charlie says, Dorothy, wait, please stay. You could learn to like it here. I know you could. Our writer, Steve Skeet, says to Charlie, no, let her go. She'd never be happy here. She doesn't belong here like you do. Charlie says, but as Dorothy says, goodbye, Charlie. And Skeets goes on. See, it's no longer Dr. Graves talking. We're getting the writer, Steve Skeets. And he says, for a brief moment before she shuts her eyes, the girl looks back at the boy and he at her. He loved her once. But now he knows he no longer does. Dorothy, of course, sees this narration and says, That's that's not true, you lousy hack writer. You still love me, don't you, Charlie? Charlie looks confused in the foreground and says, Well, I don't know. I mean, if the writer says that... Angry now, the girl quickly turns, closes her eyes, and wishes hard. Get me out of here. Somebody please get me out of here. And she disappears. And as the boy watches her vanish from view... He begins to realize what a fool she is to leave this place, and he wonders how he could have ever loved a girl like this. And Charlie looks up at the narration and says, huh? Oh yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I think. Now she's gone, and so she should be. She was not fit to live in this world. She didn't meet up to the qualifications. Charlie slumps over, heads back to the bench where he sees a puff of smoke that used to be Dorothy and says, good goodbye Dorothy and the narrator says and now you are free Charlie free from her free to be happy in this impossible situation this is what you want isn't it isn't it uh I I guess so and now we turn back to the park in 
our reality, I guess. And we see Dorothy sitting alone on the park bench, and she says to herself, Hey, where... Oh, the park. I must have fallen asleep. It's getting pretty dark. I had better head for home. It isn't safe for a girl to be out alone this late. And as we see her getting her things together, Dr. Graves makes another appearance and says, Dorothy is about to leave, when suddenly she spots something on the bench beside her. Something she's certain wasn't there before. And we see her reach down to the bench and say, Hey, a comic book. Where'd that come from? And we see she picks up a Charlton comic called The Adventures of Charlie Drupal for 12 cents. Now remember, this story was printed in 1968. And she says, that's a stupid name for a comic. Hmm, but it seems like I've read an issue of it before. Anyway, the name Charlie Drupal seems somehow familiar. Oh well, no use taking it home with me. For some reason, I don't feel very much like reading a comic tonight. And she drops the comic behind her back on the bench and walks away out of the park, heading home. And in this final panel, as we see Dorothy walking away, we get Dr. Graves in the foreground, and he gives us this closing narration. There'll always be people like Charlie Drupal, people who can't face reality, people who want to escape to a more perfect world. A strange beam of light gave Charlie the chance to live in the world of his dreams, but I wonder, is the world he now lives in any better than ours? And that is how our story ends. Okay, this was a very interesting, although not horror, a very interesting early example of a meta-fiction tale, uh, breaking of the fourth wall, the writer taking over for the Dr. Graves narration, getting involved with the characters, actually having arguments with the characters, and a very cleverly written tale by a legendary writer, Steve Skeet. Uh, the artwork outstanding uh, Jim Aparo his work has always been a favorite of mine I recall seeing many of his Batman stories in Detective Comics and The Brave and the Bold in the 70s and this is just some great artwork great composition nice tight lines great depictions of action when there is a little bit of action you know the um, the clever drawing of the characters trying to fight their way out of the panels is uh, just very clever concept in a comic book story and uh, I'm going to use one of those panels uh, as our Poe for the episode. So that was a very interesting tale and that's going to do it for our featured story The Best of All Possible Worlds but before we close up the vault for this episode we will energize the random comic generator and see what it kicks back at us for our next episode. And I'll give the toggle switch a little flip out of here. Okay. We're sticking with Charlton, but we're going back to the pre-code days, and we're going to take a look at The Thing, number 14, published by Charlton in 1954. It's Charlton. It's The Thing. It's the pre-code 50s, and that means we're going to see some Steve Ditko. Should be a lot of fun. I hope you join me for that next time. That's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out, you can drop me an email at fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. 
You can check out the Facebook group. Just search for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.